Welcome, everyone, back to our antidepressant episode, part two of the tricyclic antidepressants. I am here, Dr. Michael Lang, the chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine, with Dr. Monica Sharma, PGY2 internist psychiatrist. Welcome, Dr. Sharma. Thank you. It's good to be here. Let's pick up where we left off. What about overdosing on tricyclic antidepressants? Is that a significant concern? Actually, yeah. TCAs are actually second only to analgesics in terms of the number of fatalities associated with overdose. Similar to MAOIs, they're fatal in overdose, albeit for different reasons. This is because most TCAs potently inhibit sodium and L-type calcium channels in the cardiac tissue, resulting in slowing of the depolarization of the cardiac action potential and prolonging the QRS complex in the EKG, uh, thus causing potentially life-threatening arrhythmias. This cardiotoxicity is responsible for the high mortality rate associated with TCA overdose. Ingesting even a one-week dose of amitriptyline, for example, can cause intracardiac slowing in arrhythmias and be fatal. Cardiac arrhythmia leading to cardiac arrest is typically the cause of death, but in most cases, cardiac arrest doesn't occur and patients recover. TCA overdose can also present with confusion, delirium, loss of consciousness, all of this is in contrast to most of the newer antidepressants, uh, SSRIs, SNRIs, and bupropion, which are relatively safe in overdose. What should one do if there is a concern for a possible overdose? Given the significant risk of cardiotoxicity, patients should be started on cardiac monitoring for QRS whitening and receive sodium bicarb, uh, bicarbonate, which is a well-known antidote to TCA poisoning that acts to reverse cardiac sodium channel blockade. Are there other drug-drug interactions physicians should be aware of with TCA use? Yes, uh, TCAs are actually also substrate themselves for other isoenzymes of the cytochrome P450 system. And so they can affect the metabolism of other medications as well. TCAs inhibit the metabolism of warfarin and as such increase their levels, the levels of warfarin and prothrombin time. And they do so in a dose-dependent manner. They also increase the levels of uh, antipsychotics, uh, several antipsychotics, and dis- decrease absorption of aldopa. In addition, given their antihistamine and anticholinergic effects, concomitant use of CNS depressants such as alcohol and benzodiazepines with TCAs can actually increase the risk of sedation and ataxia. Similarly, given their effects on cardiac conduction, concomitant use of TCAs with quinidine or other um, class 1A or class 3 antiarrhythmics should be avoided because they can further prolong the QT interval and increase the risk of arrhythmias. You know, the list goes on. Um, the use of clonidine and sympathomimetics like cocaine can increase the risk of hypertension, tachycardia, and arrhythmias with concomitant TCA use as well as you know, using TCAs with serotonergic agents, whether SSRIs, SNRIs, or, or even linazolid, may increase the risk of serotonin syndrome. Is there any utility to obtaining a TCA blood concentration or level in patients? That's a great question. Um, yes, there is. Plasma levels of TCAs are often used in patients on, on the medication to ensure the adequacy of treatment and avoid toxicity. Therapeutic levels of TCAs are generally in the range of about 100 to 300 nanograms per milliliter. These plasma levels are most accurate when the blood is drawn 8 to 12 hours after the patient's last dose and after the patient has achieved a steady state on the medication, which for most TCAs occurs after about 5 to 7 days. 
Blood levels, whether they be serum or plasma, can be used with any antidepressants, but they have little to no correlation with clinical response in most of the newer antidepressants. Currently, blood levels actually only have demonstrated clinical utility for TCAs, neuroleptics, clozapine, lithium, and anticonvulsants. That is fascinating. What is the dose-response relationship of TCAs? Put simply, it depends on the agent. Imipramine and disipramine have a sigmoidal dose relationship, meaning that clinical response increases directly with plasma levels up to 250 nanograms per milliliter before they plateau. In contrast, nortriptyline has a curvilinear dose relationship meaning that clinical response initially increases with the plasma level and then it plateaus between 50 to 150 nanograms per milliliter before decreasing in response at levels greater than 150 nanogram per milliliter, like an upside-down parabola, if you will. This curvilinear relationship demonstrates a therapeutic window for neurotriptyline with a critical range between 50 to 150 nanograms per milliliter. Would you recommend obtaining a plasma level on a patient being treated with a TCA? And if so, how would you interpret those levels? As we mentioned previously, the metabolism of TCAs varies significantly within the population. And plasma levels can serve as indicators of a patient's drug metabolism and whether it's too fast or slow. But there are many other instances as well where obtaining a TCA level would prove quite useful in determining a dose adjustment or the risk of toxicity in the patient. For example, someone who's not responding to nortriptyline at a plasma level of 150 nanograms per milliliter, which is just outside the critical range we discussed of 50 to 150 nanograms per milliliter, after four to six weeks may respond to a lowering of the dosage and plasma level into the therapeutic window. In contrast, if the same were to occur with imipramine, which does not have a clear therapeutic window as does nortriptyline, the patient may respond to an increase in the dosage instead and plasma level to greater than 200 nanograms per milliliter. On the other hand, if a patient is responding to the drug and their plasma level is subtherapeutic, they don't need to have the dosage increased. In fact, some physicians recommend obtaining the plasma level for any patient that responds to a TCA so that we can record their therapeutic plasma level if they ever require retreatment for recurrence of their symptoms. On the other hand, sometimes a routine check of plasma level in the patient clinically improved on TCA with just minor side effects, may reveal a plasma level greater than 400 nanograms per milliliter, and the patient can relapse when the dose is decreased. This suggests that for this patient, a very high plasma level is necessary for adequate improvement in response, although it may be associated with greater risk. So which TCA should I choose? As we discussed in an earlier podcast, there's really no significant difference in efficacy among different antidepressants. And choosing an antidepressant often has more to do with their anticipated toxicities and side effects than their efficacy. These secondary means, disipramine, nortriptyline, and protriptyline, are more noradrenergic and more stimulating as a result, whereas the tertiary means, amitriptyline and doxepine, for example, are more serotonergic and more sedating. Disipramine and nortriptyline are the two most popular TCAs because of their favorable side effect profile. In contrast, amitriptyline has potent anticholinergic and antihistaminic effects and so is a, has a very poor side effect profile and isn't, isn't often the best first choice, especially in elderly patients who are at high risk of these effects. Patients should be educated and made aware of the side effects prior to starting a TCA. Moreover, given the risk of mortality with TCA overdose, 
assessing a patient's suicide risk, impulsivity, and likelihood of self-harm is critical prior to starting a TCA. So how do you start someone on a TCA? Start low and go slow is the name of the game. Like with other drugs, you want to start at a relatively low dose and increase slowly. Due to their common comorbidities and slow metabolism, elderly patients should be started even lower on 25 uh, on about 25 milligrams, and their dosages should be uptighted gradually and conservatively. Treatment response often requires up to three weeks of therapy or even longer. In contrast, the adverse effects of the TCAs can be seen within a few hours of the initial dose, but they tend to diminish over two to three weeks. Uh, the degree of side effects experienced can be a useful indicator for the ability of a patient to tolerate a given dosage. After their dose is stabilized, though, EKGs and plasma levels should be obtained to evaluate for any toxicity and aid in prescribing optimal doses if needed. Given their side effect profile and tolerability, I imagine it is not uncommon for patients to stop taking TCAs abruptly when prescribed. Is that a concern if they do? Certainly. Stopping TCAs too quickly can lead to a discontinuation syndrome from cholinergic rebound. Uh, which results in flu-like and GI symptoms such as nausea, queasy stomach, cramping, sweating, headache, neck pain, and vomiting. Abrupt cessation of TCAs can also result in rebound hypomania or mania. In discontinuing or tapering TCAs, it's essential to do so at a maximum rate of about 25 to 50 milligrams every two to three days. Patients that experience intense GI symptoms during or after TCA withdrawal can be treated with propantholine bromide. If it's unclear whether the symptoms of secondary to rebound are due to a medical illness or recurrence of psychiatric symptoms, administering a single dose of the discontinued TCA should confirm the diagnosis of withdrawal if the symptoms are rapidly relieved. So in summary, TCAs increase serotonin and norepinephrine levels in synapses and are highly effective agents for the treatment of depression, as well as neuropathic pain and headaches. However, in addition to their therapeutic effects, TCAs also have a number of unwanted side effects, including antihistaminic, cardiotoxic, and anticholinergic effects. TCAs are usually prescribed for treatment-resistant depression that has failed to respond to therapy with newer agents. Tertiary amines have more potent serotonergic effects, whereas secondary amines have more potent noradrenergic effects. Since tertiary amines tend to have greater severity and frequency of side effects due to greater antihistaminergic, anticholinergic, and alpha-1 activity, the secondary amines are usually better tolerated. Because of their anticholinergic and antihistaminic effects, TCAs are less suited for use in the elderly and increase their risk of falls. Cardiotoxicity is the main adverse effect of TCAs on overdose, and caution should be exercised in its use in cardiac patients. Although TCAs were once first-line agents in the treatment of depression, their popularity has waned after the discovery of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which will be the topic of a subsequent podcast. Dr. Sharma, thank you for a wonderful, thorough, and very practical review of the tricyclic antidepressants. You're more than welcome.